Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is the start of our gospel series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan will challenge us to use our personal stories as a tool to share Jesus. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. We got to, to uh, kind of take our uh, step one of this summer's plan to go out and to try and uh, just be a little bit more involved in our community. And while this series is called The Gospel, we didn't really share the gospel yesterday, but in the way I look at it is, uh, you know, as taking a step to maybe do something we're not normally doing or to get out of our comfort zone just a little bit. And, uh, you know, and for... Uh, for some of us, I know that going, just walking up to a house that you don't know and hanging something on a door is a kind of a nervous experience. Uh, I've done that so many times now in my life, it, it really doesn't matter. I tell people that I am the king of awkward situations because I have been in so many that I can't even, I can't share the details with you. Uh, but, uh, you know, so many different awkward situations that really, it takes a lot. It, it really takes a lot to throw me off my guard. But every so often, it still happens. But yesterday, you know, as we go through this series about sharing the gospel, I don't expect any of us, after any sermon that I preach, after a whole series of sermons or anything else, that we're just going to be able to just step out these doors and start having conversations with people we've never met and start just sharing the gospel just fluidly and easily without any hiccups and no anxiety whatsoever. That's just not the way it works. The way it works is taking a step and then another and then another and then another until we continue to get better at it. But I, I tell you this, I get nervous every Sunday morning. Um, hopefully it doesn't show that much up here. You know, I'll say, no, Jeremy, you don't look nervous. You just look like tired and bored and that's why you're boring. But, uh, but hopefully... Uh, the, the nerves don't show up here, but I do. Every time I speak, I get nervous, but obviously the more I've done it in life, it's not like when I was a teenager and started speaking in front of people. And by the beginning of the sermon, I would be wearing clothes. And by the end of it, I'd be wearing what looks like swimwear because I would have just sweated through the whole thing and, uh, and everything. And so I wore jackets back then, not just because that's what you wore in church, but because dark blue jackets don't show when they're dripping wet. And uh, anyway, and so I've gotten better through some of those things. It's also why we keep it cold in here. Um, but, you know, taking some of those steps is just an easy thing to do. And uh, I've, I grabbed a couple of pictures that people posted online. Uh, and so I didn't, wasn't able to pull all of them up there. But we just had some crews go out. And you can throw some of those pictures up. And uh, the Crosses Adopted Jessica was here kind of running things and everything else. And so they went out. And so Jessica teamed up with Grayson and Enoch. And uh, she said, Enoch, we had a bingo game going, uh, like of the different things you saw along the way. And he was like really invested in that. And Grayson was just running. He was just running to the doors and handing stuff out. She said her team, you know, covered a lot of ground. And uh, then uh, the Mortons, uh, they went out. You've got uh, Jada taking baby sister and uh, putting one up on the door. Everyone getting involved. Uh, and then I, I saw a, a really nice picture of like some of our college students standing together and everything else. I couldn't find that one, so Jack sent me this. And uh, Don looks like he's in pain. Ty, I don't know if he's just trying to plan things or if he's ignoring them uh, there in the background. But uh, anyway, so, you know, we had just crews of people come and get together and to go out 
and to serve yesterday and, uh, and gave information out to thousands of homes uh, here nearby uh, our worship center. And so if you missed out on that or if you want to do some more of it, but if you would like to, to you know, participate, um, I, usually I'm at the back you know, greeting people as they leave and trying to catch everyone and say hi. Uh, but today I will be over on that wall uh, by those tables over in the corner and the display board over there. And if you would like to take some door hangers with you and you would like to take some just neighborhood maps, you know, most of the maps, in about a, if, you're, if you've got a, a partner with you, it'll take about an hour, hour and a half just to hang door hangers and not having conversations with people, really. I mean, you can say hi, but really just right now, taking that first step of getting past any of those anxieties that we have, uh, just to go up to the door, put something on it. If someone steps out, just, hi, my name is Jeremy. I'm, we're giving out information from Pathway Baptist Church, just trying to invite people to come worship with us, tell you about our summer events. And uh, like I told the group yesterday, if you're nervous about having conversations, you just say that, and if you're worried that they're going to keep talking, you very quickly say uh, and just tell you about our summer events. Have a great day and start walking away. And then if they try to talk to you, they're the ones that made it weird. So, see, I'm even helping you if you're worried about having those conversations with people that this is a good first step just to get out there. Because when we go deeper, and especially when we go closer, as in when we try to have deeper conversations about the gospel... And we do it with the people who are closer to us that we see in our family, our friends, or at work, or at school. That's when you can get really nervous about talking about Jesus. Because there's potential, you know, things that come in with your, you know, relationships that you're worried about. What are they going to think about me? If I say the wrong thing, are they going to get angry? Are they going to get upset? Do they think that I'm judging them uh, because they believe different than me? All these different things run through your head, right? And so this was our first step, just to get us out, get us moving, get us going, and just inviting people to come worship. And so if you want to partake in that some more, over the next week, week and a half, uh, the door hangers promote our summer events that start on uh, June 16th, and so we'd really like to get these out the next 10 days. Just meet me uh, after worship service, and I'll be over there. But, you know, as I said, right now, this, this event was just to get out, enjoy a great day, great weather, and just to let people know we're here and invite them to come worship. Invite them to come partake in some of our kids' ministries to our parenting conference that we have in June, uh, Parenting by the Book, uh, and uh, letting them know that we have different youth camps coming up at the end of the summer. But at some point, we want to share the story of Jesus. Right? That's what, why we do what we do. And obviously, if you come on a Sunday morning to worship here, you kind of expect that you're going to hear about the story of Jesus. And... Next week and the week after, we're going to talk about the story of Jesus. We're really going to talk about how to share his story and how to, you know, how to do that. But today, I want to focus on your story. Because most people that you're going to have the opportunity to ever talk to about God, they've heard about Jesus, maybe they know those facts, and maybe you can share Jesus' story in a way that they haven't ever heard before and captures their attention and gets them to start thinking spiritually. But usually, I can almost guarantee you, they probably haven't heard your story. And we all love a good story, right? We all love a great story. We love, you know, when, uh, when we see, you know, something happens and it amazes us or, you know, the strength of the human spirit or people overcoming difficulties. You know, always think about the Olympics. You know, every four years you have the Summer Olympics and, 
Every two years in between that, you have the winter. And so every two years, you've got these stories and you watch these sports. And you'll sit down and you'll watch sports you never generally watch. I mean, if you've never been to like a track event, I can tell you, you live in one of the best towns in the world to, to do that because you can, you know, go watch some cross-country here. You can go watch, you know, some indoor, some outdoor track at the U of A and see world-class athletes all the time. And, it, and it, if you've never done that, you're like, I think that'd be boring. You'd, it's really, really interesting. But, you know, when we turn on the TV, we generally don't watch a whole lot of hurdle running in our daily lives. When you watch the Winter Olympics, I mean, you, you think for a second there, is that, is that, that's a sport? Like... You see guys on skis through snow carrying rifles. And they're skiing with a rifle on their back, and they stop every so often and shoot something. And, uh, I mean, we're not from Norway, so it doesn't make as much sense to us. But over there, it's a lot bigger deal. And, yeah, that's one of the Winter Olympic sports. And so sometimes you stop and you watch because it's like, wow, that is really interesting. Or uh, I remember the first time I ever saw curling. And I see these guys with Swiffers uh, out there on the ice just, you know, just doing, doing something. I, I still don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of dust. I don't know. But they're making the ice smooth just enough to slide this little rock. Little rock is really heavy. And uh, everything else. And an American team, like, one did really well a few years ago. And it was, it was amazing to watch. Never watched curling again. But I'll watch it in four years when it comes back on TV. But what usually keeps people tuned in and what they know is, as you know, TV stations and everything else, it isn't necessarily the sport because that's only a small portion of their programming. It's the stories, right? You share stories about these individuals and they talk about the things that they've overcome in life. You have sometimes, especially like in the Summer Olympics, and you have people coming from countries that horrible things have been happening there and this, them participating in this sport is like a, a moment of national pride for a people who have had some, you know, horrible things happen, whether it's war or disaster. You find out the things that people have overcome, the sacrifices they've made to train. And it's those stories that usually kind of keep people involved. But a lot of times we think maybe our story, when it comes to us sharing our faith in Christ, talking about Jesus, we think that maybe our story is a little bit, you know, more, I don't know, boring, or people really don't care that much. And, um, you know, one of the funnier social media threads that if I see this type of thread that I'll actually stop and kind of go through are where someone says to give like a, a one-sentence summary of a movie. And people take a really exciting movie and then try to make it very mundane, very kind of plain sounding. And so like one was, um, which Field of Dreams, which a lot of y'all won't even know what that movie is. But I think it said that, you know, a man builds a baseball field as an apology gift to his dad. And that's the movie. And then they had uh, uh, Jurassic Park. I loved this one. Theme park is shut down due to high injuries and insurance claims. And uh, that's the summary for Jurassic Park. But the best one was Lord of the Rings, which I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And it was uh, group uh, four friends go on a trip to return lost jewelry. And... And so they take these huge epic stories and they just drill them down into very basic kind of boring sounding, accurate summaries. And we feel that that's probably our story, right? If we were to share our story with somebody, it would be about as exciting as four friends go on a trip to return lost jewelry. So how can we get to a place where we understand that our stories can be something that connect with our friends or our family 
in ways that somebody else's story might not. You know, I could tell you, and one of my favorite stories in, in my life, and I could just explain it very simply, is that I got to shake a uh, Major League Baseball player's hand. Sounds very boring. But if I tell you the story about why it meant so much to me, it was a guy named Don Mattingly. And if, if you don't know who Don Mattingly was, he played for the Yankees. He was one of my favorite baseball players. And, uh, and I collected baseball cards back when I was a kid, and I had his rookie cards. I had all these other cards of him. There were like three pages in my baseball card, you know, folder with uh, his cards in them. Loved him. Great, great player. And on our senior trip in high school, we were going to Kansas City. And uh, we went to Kansas City, went to Worlds of Fun and the theme park. And then that night, we were going to a baseball game. And the Yankees were in town playing the Royals. And so I was so excited. So what did I do? Obviously, I brought some of my Don Mattingly stuff, right? I was going to wear some of my Don Mattingly stuff. I was going to have, you know, cards that if just by chance, I mean, you're in a baseball stadium. We were going like an hour, an hour early. But the chance of me actually seeing him or meeting him is really, really, really small. But just in case, I took all that with me. And, of course, left it at the hotel. So we were going to go to the theme park, then come back, get cleaned up, go to the game. And so we were getting to the place at the theme park where everybody was on the bus except a couple of people. And I don't know if they lost track of time or I can't remember, it's been so long ago, if they lost track of time or if they thought they were supposed to be back at a different time. But like we waited there for about 45 minutes and they weren't showing up. And the teacher's like, if we don't leave now, we're not going to be able to, people aren't going to be able to go change or anything else. And so I, I volunteered uh, you know, I said, I'll, I'll stay behind here at the park and wait on them. Y'all go back to the hotel, and y'all all get changed, and then pick us back up on the way to the stadium. And so I stayed there, and a couple of people showed up later. And anyway, and so what, did I, what happened? I didn't get my Don Mattingly stuff. I let one of the girls borrow my jacket because she was cold, and so I froze the rest of the night. I didn't get to get my baseball cards or anything else to sign. Went to the game. Still is a fun night. So we are there. And we were like kind of back around uh, third base. And uh, no, we were close to home plate and uh, like up by the fence, you know. And Don Mattingly was signing autographs all the way down the wall around third base. And so we're all sitting there and everything else. And I don't have anything to sign, but I was so excited just to see one of my heroes, right? And so think if it was actually one of your heroes, a movie star, a sports star, a, a singer, just somebody, an author, whoever it is in your mind, they would be, wow, this would be just so awesome to meet them for just a second. And so I was sitting there on the wall, and I realized I don't really care about I don't have that stuff, and I just yelled out loud. I just yelled, Mr. Mattingly, all I want to do is shake your hand. And he was sitting there signing, and he just looked up and looked down there at me and saw me, like, leaning over the wall and everything else. He finished it, handed that person, and he walked straight all the way down, all the way down, came to me, took his glove off, took his, his batting glove off, and shook my hand. It was awesome. It was awesome, right? And then all my friends got all their stuff signed because they brought it with them because they went to the hotel. But I'm still the one who probably remembers that story more than any of the rest of them, even though I got nothing signed, just because... I was able to even say something that one of my heroes heard. It stuck out to him, and he walked down there and shook my hand. See, 
A story can just be very simple. I say, yeah, I got to shake a Major League Baseball player's hand one time. And you're like, oh, yeah, great. But then I tell you why that story was special to me, what it meant to me, all the little things about it that make it different for me, not for anybody else. And then my story starts to be compelling. And I want you to know that your story of faith is a compelling story. You may just not know it yet. Your story of faith about what God means to you, about what he is doing in your life, about what he has done in your life, about the hope that it gives you, about the other things you know, surrounding it, is compelling. You may just not know it. And today, hopefully, I can give you some ways to see your story in a different light. And then if you'll take our next steps today, and we'll actually leave here and do those next steps, it is really going to help you in your ability to be able to talk to people about the gospel. So, we're going to be in Acts chapter 26, and to kind of move things along a little bit, I've got a slide uh, up real quick just to give you some background about where the Apostle Paul was at at this point. Now, the book of Acts, we're actually going to be going through parts of it this year, uh, but it talks about the story of the church as it's getting started after the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And the second half of Acts especially really focuses on Paul. And really, it talks about his missionary journeys. I mean, the first half a little bit, too, as well. But uh, about Paul's conversion, about his missionary journeys, most of the letters in the New Testament to the Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, all of those were written by Paul. Um, and then at the end of the book, the last few chapters from about 21 through uh, 20, let's see, about 8. Uh, there may be another chapter in there. But, you know, the last 10 or so chapters are talking about Paul being in court. And so again, if I told you that the last 10 chapters of the book of Acts are, you know, the story of Paul and his various court proceedings across different jurisdictions, kind of boring. But if you actually look and see what's happening, it, it was a big, big story. So Paul, after his missionary journeys, he came back, he came to Jerusalem, and he came to worship at the temple. And he was going to talk about Jesus too and share what Jesus did. But he was also doing the normal temple worship for a Jew. And so when he did that and when he started talking about Jesus, they got enraged. They were already enraged because of what he had been preaching and, you know, and, and pushing the gospel throughout cities all over the Middle East. And so they were already enraged about that. Uh, and they got to the point now that when he was there at the temple, they were about to try and kill him. And so the Roman um, officer who was kind of in charge of that area heard all the commotion. It was like that he said the whole city is in an uproar, and he took his soldiers, went up there to the temple, and got Paul out of there. Said at one point they actually had to carry him out like on their shoulders because people wanted to kill him so bad. And so they got Paul out of there, and there in uh, chapter 22, I believe, is where Paul says, hey, let me just try and talk to them. And, he, and they let Paul down, and he quiets the crowd. And Acts 22, actually, is probably considered Paul's best example of him sharing his testimony. Really detailed and everything else. We're going to be mostly in Acts 26. But in Acts 22, Paul shares his testimony to the people, makes them want to kill him some more. And so they take him away from there. They find out that there is a plot, like I think 40 people made a vow to not eat or drink until they kill Paul. It didn't work out for him, so I'm guessing they gave up on the vow and started eating at some point. But um, because they heard about this plot to kill Paul, they took him to Caesarea. 
So then in Caesarea, I think kind of the second point there, he had a court uh, appearance before the judge uh, named Felix. And, of course, he's like, there's nothing that, you know, this man deserves death. Y'all are asking for him to be put to death, and there's nothing here. And, uh, and so he kind of just lets it, you know, he's a politician. He doesn't want to make a hard stand and do anything, so he just kind of lets it just sit out there. And uh, so Paul stays more or less in house arrest in Caesarea for two years. Then there's a new judge, takes over. His name is Festus. And uh, I think the third point there is that now he had the new court appearance before Festus, who again heard his story and said, I really don't know what's going on here or why people are so mad at you for this religious stuff. So why don't I send you back to Jerusalem for it to be handled there? And Paul is like, that's where they want to kill me. So as a Roman citizen, Paul was able to say, I want to appeal to Caesar. I mean, that's, that's pretty high praise to be able to say, you know, in their society, you could say, I want to appeal to Caesar. It's not like he would go sit necessarily in front of Caesar, but you get taken to the Roman courts, right? So they took him from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and then now he's saying, no, 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 I'm not going back to the place that want to kill me. I appeal, I want to go to Caesar. So more or less, local court, state court, Supreme Court. And so that's what's happening through all of these. And through it all, Paul is getting to share his story. And so after he said, I want to go to Caesar, don't send me back to Jerusalem, and Festus, his hands are tied at that point. I mean, at that point, he has to abide by that. That was Roman law. But King Agrippa was in town. King Agrippa, who is the king over this area, kind of a governor-type person uh, under the Romans, uh, he knew their society a lot better. He knew their religion. And so Festus said, I've got to send Paul to Rome. He has that right as a Roman citizen. But I don't even know what to write down. I don't even know what to put on paper as the reason that he's going to court. And so can you hear this case and can you help me write out the legal description about why we're sending him to Rome? So that's Acts 26. So two plus years have gone by with Paul tied up in the courts, but having house arrest freedom to have visitors, to be able to talk, share the gospel, and be able to, to really make an impact even while he's in prison. So Acts chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you're an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope and the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise from the dead? Now, so far, this isn't really, I wouldn't call it Paul sharing his story of faith as much. It's really, this is like, how do you kind of win in a debate or start your legal defense? Because what Paul does is he says, what these people are accusing me of, they actually agree with just not on the, the little details. Because I believe God can raise people from the dead. They believe, as Pharisees, that God can raise people from the dead. We were all looking for the Messiah. 
I just believe he showed up. They don't. And so Paul right then just pokes holes in their legal case and then also, you know, starts dividing his detractors because the Jews had a group called the Pharisees and they had a group called the Sadducees. And if you actually read a few chapters earlier, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees do. And so Paul used that fact to divide his enemies. And so Paul is kind of setting up his defense and doing all of that here. And then here in chapter 9, he starts getting into his story. And what I want you to hear in his story as we go through this is Paul talks about who he was before. Then he talks about how he came to faith in Christ. And then he finishes his story with what happened after. And he starts in verse 9. Who I was before. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the name, the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. This is who I was. But in verse 12, one day... I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. And about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them that I will show, uh, what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. So, here he has shared who I was before. And then Paul shares his story of faith, albeit probably a little more spectacular than ours, with Jesus showing up as a bright light and blinding you and then speaking audibly to you. And the rest of the people see the light and they hear this voice and this rumbling, but don't understand it. And so his story, granted, it starts off pretty exciting. But... It's all the other parts of his story, really, that step out in, you know, the most and put themselves up front that make us listen. Who he was and then what happened. And so I've got a graphic, and, and, uh, and if you go on the sermon blog uh, today, um, I've already put some links on the sermon blog down there at the bottom below the next steps. And there are multiple articles that can help you, you know, see how to write out your story. How to write out your story of faith. And when we ask people to write it out, I ask people to write things out all the time. It's a proven fact. When we write stuff out, we remember it better. When we write it out or type it out, I'm a typer, not a writer as much. But when we actually have to put it into words to share it with other people, it makes us form our thoughts in a more cohesive way. It makes us look into how we're describing things and to fill in the, the plot holes and the gaps. And so if you go online, you go to our sermon blog this week, and you can read through some of those articles that help you step through it. They're all kind of similar, but they'll have different points and different things like that. 
first of all, that our story is God's story, right? It's not about promoting us. It's not about lifting us up. It's about how can I use my experiences to talk about God? How can I use about what's happened to me, not to get them to think I'm some great person, but to get them to understand how great God is? And so Paul's story, his life before, his faith, and then his life after. That is a very simple formula to be able to start with your story. And so he shared who he was before, that, hey, I grew up and I knew, I knew religion. I knew the Jewish religion. I was a Pharisee. And I believed, just like you, that this Jesus guy and all that was nonsense. But I believed it so much that I dedicated my life's work to stopping it. And y'all know this because y'all gave me letters of authority to actually go out to these different cities and to persecute and arrest, even to some of their death, Christians who were following this Jesus, the Nazarene. So that's my story before. I, 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 I used to agree with you that this Jesus, the Nazarene, was no one that anyone should hear about. But Jesus, he, he reached me. And the way that he reached Paul is magnificent, but so is the way he reached you. Doesn't matter if you think it's boring or you think it's small or you think it's very bland. You know, it doesn't more matter. I, you know, I can tell you my story of faith, and actually that's what I'm going to do at the end today. But I can give you my one line summary. Boy grows up in Christian home, in church his whole life, and believes in Jesus. That's my one sentence summary. And that can sound pretty boring. But I'm going to share with you why it still meant so much to me because I've shared my story with a lot of other people. Because it's what I have. And my story is the most powerful story I can share that then points to Jesus and then share his story, which is the most powerful any of us can share. Right? So my story is the best tool I have to get to sharing Jesus' story. And so is yours. It's the best one that you have. You can share stories of other people's faith and everything else, but yours is amazing. And so Paul shared his, and he shared what happened to him, and now that he was going to go and, you know, and share the gospel, not with just with the Jews, but the Gentiles. And then here's what happens after accepting. Verse 19. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that almost repented their sins and turned to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. And by the way, verse 20 there, there's a whole lot that goes with that. We talked not long ago about Barnabas and, and Paul and their relationship and about how they didn't accept him in uh, you know, Jerusalem at first and all the different things that he faced. But he says, I went and I preached to Damascus, then at Jerusalem, verse 21, some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. So Festus, you're the new guy here on the block. You may not understand all of this is actually very basic stuff in the Jewish religion, Messiah's resurrection and all of that. But King Agrippa, he knows. 
And I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. As in, Jesus' life, his ministry, and then his crucifixion was not a private thing. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And Paul's kind of last statement here to him, he said, Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. So whether you believe me or not, that's my prayer, and that's why I'm sharing. Yes, I came here to defend myself in court, but I'm sharing my story to point to the story of Jesus because my hope is is that you, Agrippa, everyone else in this court, and of course everyone in the world, Paul's hope was that everyone would be just as he was, minus the whole being arrested and in prison fact. And so that was Paul's story. I love how as he's sharing it that one person thinks he's insane, and then Agrippa, who actually knows that what Paul is saying is, no, that's, this, is, this is what other Jews believe. They just don't believe it's Jesus. And he pushes Agrippa. And he calls him out, Agrippa, don't you agree with all this? I know you trust the prophets. You know, we get scared, and we'll talk about this in coming weeks, about how to actually share our faith and calling for people to tell us whether they believe or not. Um, ultimately, it's a place where we need to get to where we give people a point of decision. And Agrippa stopped him before he really got too far into that. But Paul shared who he was before, how he came to faith in Christ, and then now what had happened in his life after. And so as you see that graphic back up there, just think about your story. Just think about your story and what that would look like to start talking about What was my life before? Why did I come to faith in Christ? What influenced me? Are you like me and you grew up and you grew up hearing the stories of God out of the Bible and you grew up in a home where he was taught about? Uh, Did you grow up and you didn't hear any of that? Maybe it was later in life that you started kind of finding that out on your own. Maybe there's somebody that was important to you, whether you grew up in a a church family or whether you grew up outside of that, Uh, Maybe there's someone who's important to you that really stuck out. Maybe you said, that's the kind of person I want to be, the kind of faith and peace I want to have, and so I'm going to find out what they believe. Or maybe they influenced you in other ways of life and then eventually got to the place where you talked about spiritual things. What did you struggle with believing? What was the thing that was the hardest thing for you to let go of, of a doubt or a concern or part of the Scripture? Because Paul, remember, said, I, I, I grew up and in my adult years, and I agreed like everyone else that this Jesus of Nazareth was somebody I wanted no one to hear about. And I, that was the hardest thing for Paul to get over. Jesus stepped in and provided a way, a very clear way for Paul, for him to do that. So what were the things that you struggled with? What were the things you got past? And then... After trusting in Christ, how did your life change? Maybe you say, well, it didn't change that much because I was kind of in a, in a, a Christian environment to begin with. But how has it changed in now what do you struggle with? Maybe before it was struggling about who God was or who he is. Maybe now that you're saved, your life maybe hasn't changed that much and that's what you struggle with, that you're, 
well, if I believe in God and I do trust in him as Savior, then why am I not more motivated to, to do this with my life or to be impactful in this way or to, to talk to other people or to serve or whatever it may be? See, it doesn't matter where you're at. I've got friends who can share with you stories about being you know, uh, an addict and being in jail and coming to know Christ and turning their life around, serving God in great ways. I know people that can talk to you about you know, being uh, brought up to hate God and, and everything else. And then through life and through seeing, through the, the life vision of people who have faith in Christ versus those who don't, that it made them start asking questions. And then they became very passionate about telling others about Jesus. I mean, I, there are so many stories where there are huge changes. And those have impact. But all the stories, too, about living a life where it's mostly accepted to know Christ, but then I still have struggles. And now in my salvation, here's what I'm still struggling with today. Because your story has impact. It's the greatest one you can share to be able to get to the point of sharing the greatest story of Jesus. Yours has impact. You may just don't know it because you haven't sat down to think about it, to write it out, to put it down on paper. But then the other thing, your story isn't over. Your story is not finished. Because as you leave here today, you are going to decide what tomorrow looks like. You're going to decide what this afternoon looks like. If you haven't decided yet, you're going to decide what you eat for lunch. And that may be the hardest thing you do today. Right? Depends on how your household manages that. But you have to leave here and decide what the rest of your story is going to look like. And so whatever you want it to look like, whatever you think is the thing you, are the things that you struggle with now with your faith in Christ, and you say, but I want, it to, I want to do more. I want to be more. Well, you're the one who's going to determine as you leave here whether or not your story and the pages of your life will include that. You get to decide what the rest of your story is going to be and how you can share it. And let me tell you that every page of your life that is written is going to give you more to the story of who you are that can lead people to the story of who Jesus is. And we need to learn to be able to share it. So real quick, I'm going to share you the story of a boy who grows up in church and one day believes in God. So I was a young kid, grew up in a home with a mom and dad, went to church three times a week. We were, uh, you know, it was the, the more traditional type schedule, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were there for all of them. Every youth rally once a month, every revival meeting that we had, every vacation Bible school, Back in those days, in the hot July heat, you still had to wear jeans to Bible school, even though you did stuff outside. It was horrible. See, I suffered. My story has dark moments. And I grew up in that place with a loving family who talked about God. And then as a young elementary age kid who I questioned a lot of things, and I, I knew the story very well. And so I actually was missing church one night. Me and my mom were home. I was sick. Sitting there in my pajamas, and I was watching a show on TV, and it, it had something about war. And uh, it was either show or commercial, whatever it was on TV, it was talking about war. And I'd already been asking questions about God and heaven and the realities of those. 
And I went in there to my mom, and, and if you want to talk about the scary part of the story, hear my mom's perspective. And as a parent, you know this. When your elementary-aged child comes in and says, Mom, what does it really take to go to heaven? Because that's when her anxiety level just whoo, shoots through the roof. How do I, I need to answer these the right way. And she talked to me, and I already knew, right? I just verbalized that it's faith in Christ. And, you know, when we die, that our choice about whether or not to just rely on Jesus is what determines whether we spend an eternity with him in heaven or whether we spend an eternity away from him in hell. And so I knew all of those things, but just being able to start putting the pieces together one by one, asking her, and then right then I made the, the choice, I'm going to rely on Jesus. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I trusted in his story, and that became my story. And then my dad and my sister got home and threw clothes on me real quick and called the preacher and said, hey, we want to come talk to you because, you know, young kid, they just wanted to talk and they wanted somebody else to ask me those questions too. And, uh, and I say this, you know, at that young elementary age, you know, I, I turned my life around. One time I'd taken an extra milk at school because you got, you know, kids every day got to take the milk to the classrooms. We did that back when we were kids. I grew up on a dairy. We were big milk people. And so, uh, you know, so I took an extra one day and didn't tell anybody. I quit doing that. I, uh, you know, so I made some big changes. But as I went later in life, then I started questioning, you know, I was so young when I believed in God. Is this all true? And through my teenage years and everything, I started investigating other religions. And I really wanted to look at every other religion. Because I was like, well, if I grew up in a, a family of Hindus, would I be Hindu? If I grew up in a family of Muslims, would I be Muslim? And so I started researching all of those. And I researched all of them and came not just to the spiritual point of accepting Jesus as Savior, but now understanding all of these different points of view of faith and saying, yes, this is the one that I truly think with my heart and with my head that this is true. And it was later in my teens, or I was a young teenager, but that later that I, I knew God was calling me to do ministry with my life. And then I can go into story after story after story of my struggles, of my failures, of my problems, of my successes, of how the fact that my faith in God, even though if you look at my life and you say, well, Jeremy, you've had a fairly you know, straight path that you've walked down for the most part. Y'all don't know the, you know the side jogs as much. You've had a fairly straight path that you've walked down and everything else. But I can share with you about how if it wasn't my faith in God and knowing it's so many decision points along the way that I have to choose to either be his or to be my own, that that is what has helped me walk down my path. And that's what I want for my son. And that's what I want for everybody that I talk to about Jesus. And that's my story. Your story, if you will take the time today, this week, to start thinking about how your story carries weight and how it can help someone else, your story will be the most powerful tool you have to share the greatest story, which is of Jesus. Thank you for listening. We encourage you to take some next steps this week. One, your story is powerful, but only if it is heard. If you have put your trust in Jesus as Savior, write down the story of why you put your faith in Him. That will prepare you to share your story with others. Two, your story isn't over yet. 
If you could write the rest of the chapters of your life, what would they say? Pray for God to help you make those chapters become reality. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.